Hello and welcome. This is the Bits vs. Byte podcast. I'm your host, Amar Grigic, and today with me is Ilko van Kolenburg. Uh, he's the art director at uh, Macau. And uh, welcome, Ilko. Thank you. It's been a long time. <laughs> it's been a very, very long time. Yeah, we, we've, uh, for the listeners, we've been colleagues at uh, Mirabeau, which is about seven or eight years ago now. Yeah, so, yeah definitely. Uh, it's been a while, but it's uh, good to be catching up. Yeah. Uh, and also uh, talking about uh, the, the good things you were doing. Yeah. Um, and we're going to talk all about uh, your passion, which is design, of course. Yeah, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, let's start off with the a little bit of the obvious. Uh, so could you tell uh, the listeners a little bit about your background and uh, how you got to this uh, point where you are, are right now? Yeah, um, uh, I'm a digital art director uh, and brand strategist. And um, uh, I've been a creative, as I can remember, my whole life. And I started out... Uh, trying to make my own Spider-Man books. That, that was my beginning, learning to draw, learning to create stories, doing storytelling. And uh, eventually it, it, it panned out on going to creative schools, learning to create design, do video, everything, multimedia design, as it was called back then. <laughs> uh, yes, and it was very depressing because you also had like computers you could buy, which were multimedia computers, which really confused me. It's like, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> but um, I quickly learned uh, about uh, the purpose of design and creativity. And I, I created uh, with a couple of friends uh, our own magazine company, uh, which I learned learned a lot. I mean, working with big deadlines, work, doing all sorts of things, but also working at a company and doing virtual reality, 3D modeling uh, and, and video and working with... Uh, Evonia Productions in, in Hilversum at the same time. All those things really shaped me in the beginning of my uh, career and later on going further and focusing on online because that's, that's my medium. I really love the dynamic nature of the internet. Mm. And uh, as you already recalled, working at a couple of agencies, going to Mirabeau, worked there for 10 years, helped to shape with some of my colleagues to create the creative department there and uh, left there one and a half years ago and now working at Macaw. Mm. And uh, it, it's been a journey for sure. <laughs> definitely, definitely, yeah. So uh, you went from being kind of a designer and uh, doing all kinds of stuff on the front end of the, mm. the, the thing and you eventually become an art director. Was that, was that transition, did that come naturally to you or was that something that you were already thinking about in the beginning of your career that you want to end up there? Yeah. How, how did that go? Um, I think a lot of designers always dream or envision to go towards an art director role or creative director or whatnot, but it's, it's not a clear path. And um, having a clear definition of what an art director is, uh, you can't really find it. Mm. There's even this really good, good book, and, and uh, yeah, it, it's quite fat, it's quite big. Uh, it's called Art Direction Finally Explained, mm -hmm. uh, but it kind of like shows all the different uh, facets in the creative industry from book design towards digital, towards video, and it shows that art direction has something different in every part. But um, to me, it was a clear goal. Uh, the further I got as a visual designer, because I really was curious about brands and, and how they work, how they function, how do you connect the business strategy and design together? That was something that really intrigued me, and it wasn't really natural. I mean, uh, I was a... Um, very active designer, working with my tools, very good in Photoshop, Illustrator, all those tools back then. But I really wasn't looking at the bigger picture. Mm. Uh, 
why are we doing this? Are we really good in the skills itself? So going from being really good in the software and designing and creating a certain style or identity and going to the bigger questions wasn't natural at all. So mm. it, it cost me some big years to, to train myself and find the right path. Uh, what would you say was uh, instrumental in doing that? Because that, I, I've had that transition myself as well, mm. uh, going from an engineer to a position where you need to think about more... Well, it's more abstract, right? So it's more things mm. like, okay, this is where we want to go with this company or mm. this client or whatever. Mm. So uh, what, what helped you in, the, in that whole process? Is there something that you could name that really helped you go through that? Yeah. Um, um, I'm I kind of like uh, I'm some sort of autodidact, uh, uh, really trained myself. But um, doing that and not having a, like an official uh, art academy background uh, I wasn't really uh, conceptual. Mm-hmm. So I really lacked that conceptual thinking. I was really practical in design and style and did a lot of things on, on, on gut feeling mm-hmm. uh, and luckily good. But um, going back and I did a course of uh, thinking more conceptually mm-hmm. and I really opened up my mind and seeing the connections between creating a good concept, a good design and how to connect it back towards a company and its strategy and its mm. goals um so that was my ma- my main reason why i could grow further and i'm really really happy and fortunate that i had that course yeah and i i i, I get that from a perspective that i had the same path right so i i didn't do some kind of higher education or mm. some kind mm. of uh, university background or whatever mm. uh, which uh, on the one hand was good because then I could start at the beginning, right? Mm, so mm. really in the trenches, as they yeah, call yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then uh, move up because um, you maybe, I, I, I don't know if you relate to this as well, but you can really relate to the people at the front lines, right? So yeah. you can really yeah. uh, understand that when they say something to you, mm. where they're coming from, where they are in their whole journey, Definitely. because you Definitely. can see which point they yeah. are at. Uh, how um, how has that helped you? Is is that the same like like what I'm feeling, or is it is it a little bit different than that in design? Because uh, tech and design are always linked together, in my yeah. opinion. But yeah. uh, uh, do you feel that's different in your kind of area that you're in? No, no. I think I think it's actually more universal. It doesn't really matter what branch of work or something. I mean, um, you have to be very fortunate, also. Uh, to have the right teachers around you, you know, the mm. right people around you, or maybe they don't, you don't identify them initially as a teacher. But if you mimic or see the good things in them and you, you take them with you, you can shape your own uh, vision or your, your own function. Um, but knowing uh, the nitty gritties of the mm. design, being able to, to descend and go back there and help out there and go back up, I think that's the superpower of being a very, very good uh, entrepreneur or, or creative. I mean, if I look at the creative industry, the creative directors or art directors I always looked up to were people who were like sitting there in their office doing the big stuff. And we were like grinding down on, <laughs> on pitches and, and, and yeah. dying, in, you know, because we, we couldn't crack that nut. And they almost like a demigod came down and touched the pitch deck and changed uh-huh. the design. And we all saw the direction. I mean, being somebody like that who can descend down and help out the team, but also to go back up and change and shape the business. Mm. Um, 
that that that's that's the ultimate yeah that, that's my goal eventually as well yeah and what i've noticed and what i do say a lot to people that are starting out as well i mean i'm still at the beginning of my career if yeah. you look at it i mean i mean i've been doing this for like 10 years or something like that yeah. which is seems like a lot but uh, yeah. i still feel like there's so much that i need to learn to to get even better than yeah. this uh, but what I do say a lot to people is to people always want to say, okay, I want to be an entrepreneur and I just want to start out and yeah, want to yeah. work for myself. And and sometimes I think that's uh, sometimes it works out. But sometimes you always you also have the thing that I would say to people, okay, why don't you go and work for jobs or something like that, right? Yeah. Go to four uh, different companies and see how that yeah. works and see because. Uh, what I've noticed m- most there is that uh, there's a difference in leadership in some kinds of ways, right? Definitely. Some some people are just natural leaders. They you can really get them get mm. valuable lessons from them, and also the valuable lessons from people that do it incorrectly, right? Mm. Uh, that's that's yeah. the thing. So I, I'm I'm curious to know if uh, if that's if that's the case you feel with you as well. Is that uh, does did it? Of course, it helps to see more multiple environments. But would you recommend that to someone that's starting out as a designer as yeah, well? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, um, in the beginning, I was really uh, a bit worried about my um, CV because mm-hmm. I, I jumped a lot of companies. I, 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 you know, tasted a lot. I tried to get my vision uh, on what I wanted and what kind of company I wanted to work in. But I kind of like jumped every one or two years. Mm. But um, when I started to stick at Mirabeau for 10 years, and uh, it's not about giving up, but it's about going in some sort of rhythm and, 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 and uh, learning about how businesses work in a longer run, that really helped to shape me. So I would definitely recommend to everyone, really try to taste how a smaller company works out, how a medium company and a bigger company works out, and then choose. Choose mm. your long-run direction. But sitting somewhere for a longer run really, really is fruitful. Yeah, and that's what people usually think is that when you stay for a longer period, you'll get into a rut. and you. That's, that's what most people would think. Yeah. And there is some aspect of that, but there is... Also, one that we discussed before we started recording as well is that uh, sometimes it's also up to you to not get into that rut, right? Yeah. So to take a step back and look yeah. at what yeah. you're really doing at the, yeah. that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how, how do you feel that is? Do, do you feel that you also needed to do that maybe in that period, in that yeah. longer period? Um, um, I like it when you get really philosophical. Uh, I think, I mean, even in the bigger picture, I think in life itself, you, you should always step back once in a while and look at why you are doing the things you do. And uh, yes, I really recollect some moments in that 10-year period where I said like, shit, am I sitting here too long? Mm. You know. But uh, it always panned out in something positive that I learned or did or really pumped up my portfolio or whatever. Um, but you should definitely always be aware of the value mm-hmm. that you get out of your investment. Um, I read an article in the Washington Post uh, a couple of months ago, and it was about this guy being addicted to his phone, and you know, and he was an e- economist, and he really uh, projected his profession on his addiction. And 
he said all those type type of things like my investment of time is too big and I don't really get the right you know ah, stuff out of it okay. and if you put that metaphor on your career as well I think it's really good to look at your own career as an economist mm. in that sense I recently saw this 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 slide somewhere where somebody drew out little boxes on a PowerPoint slide and I looked at it as like okay it's this big grid of little boxes. And then the next slide was like, these are every week in your life. It's mm. like a general life in some yeah. person's life that grows like 80, 90 or something. And it really struck me. It's like, Jesus, it's, it's, it's so true. Talking about philosophy. It's like yeah. time is the only valuable thing we have. And uh, we're spending it too much on jobs we don't like, uh, trying to get money, you know, for mm-hmm. stuff that we don't need. And uh, we really need to put our talents and our time in the things that we, where we get happy from. Mm. So it's really good to have that sense. Yeah, and the, the, that's also what I... It's, it's strange because, as you said, most people are driven by how much they earn and, uh, mm. and live their day, day-to-day life yeah. working like that as well, right? So yeah. they're like, okay, if I get my paycheck at the end of the month, everything is fine, right? Yeah, yeah. Instead of thinking, okay... Uh, what is there of a higher purpose that I could give back maybe to other people, right? Yeah, uh, that's, definitely. That's something that I... It, it, I don't know why I have that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's something that yeah. you don't... That you can't explain, but you, yeah. I, I still have that feeling of... I can remember the, the people that helped me, right? So yeah. that helped me yeah. along the way. Yeah. That, as you said, the, the kind of mentors and the kind of trainers yeah. that, you, yeah. that you get along the way yeah. that have maybe far more experience than you in a particular field and just can say to you, okay, why would you do this and this? Yeah. And the outcome will yeah. be different, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's something that I've, that I've noticed is that, uh, as you said, it's good to look at something else than just, okay, how much money I'm going to make in this role, right? Yeah. Um, what I was uh, wondering about, because that's one of the, the questions I had for you as well, is that uh, design, because that's your the big passion i think mm-hmm. it, people is a passion of course as well but <laughs> yeah. but, but design is one of the big things and uh, what what struck me the last time we talked on the, on the phone as well is that <clears throat> you mentioned that uh, designers should look or digital designers should look at different kind of areas as well right yeah. so designers in maybe the architecture field yeah. or designers maybe that are in fashion or whatever yeah. so uh, why do you think that's important um um I think it has to do with, um, I believe our industry is quite arrogant. Mm -hmm. I think we see the world, what we do and the profession that we we do. I think a lot of people think that we're pioneering and it really annoys me because if you look outside the box, if you look outside, uh, I hate it when people say, Outside the box. Uh, I said it <laughs> myself it. <laughs> and it's recorded. Shit. <laughs> no, what I mean is um, I really hate it when people don't look around. It's, mm. it's the same as music. You know, if you see people uh, blending new types of music together, it's more interesting than sitting in some isolated style. But if you look around in architecture, if you look around in fashion, if you look around in, in, in product design, um, you can already find the answers that we're working for. I mean, uh, years and years back, people were like discussing and discussing about what responsive design was and how we could tackle this thing. And articles were written and people were, you know, thinking about it and uh, thinking new strategies. But if you look back into classic graphic design, 
look at the portfolio of Paul Rand. I mean, look at the identities that he made. They already created their designs for multiple media and they made a system on it, how it could work. And copying that system and looking at that system from the 60s and looking at what we made up now with breakpoints and stuff and elastic and all those things. Yes, it is more practical on a digital medium, but the essence is the same. And Mm. I think it's laughable. So I think it's, it's really interesting to look at how fashion works with trends, how it looks into the future, how, how it communicates, but also look at architecture, look at contextual design. It's, it's like the biggest trend years back in, in, um, in architecture and look at how we're uh, trying to do personalization mm. right now. There's, that there's such a parallel and we can learn from that. Mm. Yeah. And, and what I w- was was thinking about while you we were talking about this is that um, it it's it's hard to capture that right so it's hard to capture that mm. and it's hard to for people maybe to get those resources so how do you how do you look at that so how do you kind of get those resources out of other designs is that uh, through books that you read or how do you how do you get that information because i think that's valuable for a lot of people that are going in the direction of designing Mm. or whatever Mm. so how do you do that um i think um it, it has to do with uh research yeah i mean research and don't try to only look at uh, websites with web design and, 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 and UX and all those things, but also look at all the other forums, all the other uh, platforms. Uh, you know, download Trend Report from Lead by Edelcourt. Uh, look at seminars. You know, the, I mean, that, that's the thing that, that's so nice about the internet right now. You can just get that information, but you have to have it in your daily system. One of the things that really helped me uh, in every project that I do it's my secret weapon it's it, it's pinterest oh really and what i really like about pinterest i mean it's a smart system and if i feed it every day what my interests are i can almost read my feed my timeline mm. and it's almost like a prediction about what's going on and in, uh, in the world it's my almost my zeitgeist machine mm-hmm. and um i get a lot of uh, great concepts and associations from that uh-huh. so if i look a lot of uh, up for um architecture and contextual design uh, it will feed me stuff like that it will yeah. find it for me and serve it me or if i look at a certain uh, style that i'm investigating I, I recently did a project for a new identity uh, and i was looking at uh, some sort of um, german minimalistic style and uh, also at uh, books from dick bruna mm-hmm. with ninja and yeah. Miffy. and uh, it was serving me r- the right things it's almost like sitting back you know, but having these systems and look at how Feedly works and all those things, you can just show them your interests and they will just bring you that information. Mm. But also you have to be active, you know, and open-minded for these things. Yeah, so uh, when we look at Pinterest, because that's interesting, that I, I didn't hear that before as a kind of inspiration, uh, from an inspiration standpoint, <laughs> yeah. is that, so uh, do I have to look at it like this? So when you're kind of browsing and you're looking at the things that you are interested in, you pin it? Yeah. And uh, you just can go back to it as some kind of, uh, it's not a time machine, but it is kind of it's, yeah. it is kind of transporting you to a time where you were interested in yeah. these kinds of things, right? Yeah, I mean, I started out using it 
again, as a classical means of um, uh, having some sort of wall where you can pin your stuff. So mm. yeah, you can have a collage of where the style or the identity or is going. Uh, but working in modern times in multiple locations with multiple people, we had to have something digital. And then finally, Pinterest made the ability where you can make uh, boards um, uh, uh, only available for certain people. So mm. you can make it like a secret board and you can connect people to it. So it became like one of the tools me and my team members used. But then they began to visually recognize stuff in it. Uh-huh. And then they associate the right other articles and visuals next to it. And that's why it's so powerful. And yes, it started out of, for people who are planning their wedding and finding the right dress and stuff. But actually, it's a very, very good creative weapon. Yeah, and I can, uh, I, I do that as well. It's a little bit different because planning web- weddings or no no oh. <laughs> that, that would be something. There's <laughs> a lot of money to be made in that uh, field as well. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> no, but uh, about the kind of um, getting the knowledge together, right? So yeah. um, I use Pocket, but mostly for yeah. just for articles yeah, and stuff too. like that. Yeah. Uh, because most of the information that I get from the things that are in interest to me, mm. for example, leadership, but also things that are in IT and stuff mm. like that. Uh, I, I kind of save that because I know that down the line I will be having a talk with someone and some topic can come up. It, it can yeah. be anything, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, there was a, a, I talked to someone last and it was it was about kind of business models and yeah. stuff like that. And I was like, okay, have you looked at kind of the Basecamp model and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was a really good blog post uh, explaining by Basecamp as well, uh, explaining why they chose their kind of business model that they have hmm. uh, and why they don't charge per seat, for example. And that's uh, that's what I use it most for, hmm. to kind of spread that kind of knowledge that maybe someone didn't have before yeah. and that they could just say, okay, just look at this link. Exactly, right? exactly. Just, yeah. just read this. Yeah. Uh, is that also a bit how it goes with you as well? So, it, 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 of course, you you have the board and you can show it in the, in the Pinterest way. But uh, do you see it like that as well, like sh- sharing that knowledge, or how do you? It, of course, you use it for yourself as well. But is it also mm. that that aspect that interests you in that as well? So the sharing and stuff like that. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, um, when I do projects, um, I used to keep like information secret to for me and my team yeah so we could look like really smart for the client <laughs> but um uh, my new new well, my new strategy the strategy i've been in in doing for the past eight years is that i really involve the client in the creative process so um it's not just about the idea it's about the whole process of of building these ruins along the way and showing the ruins to the client and those ruins prove that the idea we came up uh, with is the best one. Mm. And having somebody who can travel with you on that period, uh, that's so valuable and it mm. makes everything so logical. So it, it's good for the creative process. It's good for, for getting everyone on board. But I really, from an individual standpoint, I really believe in that information should be shared and everyone should have that same type of knowledge at yeah. the table so, it, yeah. it levels the playing field in that in that sense as well right so a client knows what what's behind your creative thinking right exactly exactly yeah. i mean uh like 10 15 years ago 
this was almost like black magic while we were doing and clients were like please help me you know get that <laughs> magic aboard but um what i found intriguing about these current times is that a lot of the good specialists and a lot of them have like agency blood um they are working on client side mm. so you have like really good people in front of you at the table and they really understand their field better than you so who am i to tell you this is the best strategy or who am I to tell you how, that you can get more clients like that. Mm. You should have like almost like a Batman and Robin uh, relationship. Yeah. Yes, we have certain knowledge and capabilities that you don't have, but you are the specialist. Mm. And having more of that type of relationship really uh yeah you need that open informational stream yeah and that may that makes a good segue to one of the things that i wanted to discuss as well is that uh, what what uh this was actually one of the points that you brought up (laughs) based on the question that i sent you so uh, but but um where do you kind of see that future for kind of agencies as well so what do you see changing in that relationship i mean you've been in the business for for a little bit yeah uh, so where do you see that going right now because i can imagine that that has changed of course over the last 10 years definitely uh, definitely. as you said it was kind of black magic before and now everybody yeah. has their own people in, yeah. inside so where do you see that going right now um it, it's really interesting because this was one of the reasons why i wanted to work um at a technical agency mm-hmm. at a technical company uh and not at a creative agency which might have seemed more logical to me or others but uh, i really wanted to try to bring design and technology hardcore technology closer together because that's where i believe the real true magic happens and um I really look at the industry right now and it, there's, there's something interesting going on because we used to have clients who have no knowledge internally about what we were doing, as we mentioned before, but now they have their own developers, their own strategists, their own designers, their own interaction designers, their own internal agencies. So that poses the question, what's the proposition of the agency? if they already have that capability in-house? And uh, what's our relationship with that internal agency? And uh, I mean, it, it, it's a logical uh, uh, situation. You can definitely see that the bigger agencies are becoming like way bigger and they're going at strategic level and bigger and everything. But I definitely believe, and that's my personal conviction, is that you should grow towards some sort of consultancy level more and you kind of like set the broad strokes of projects, identities, projects, whatever. You set it uh, like that. And internal agencies or in a joint venture, you go further and you fabricate it, you mm. create it. But I don't believe that they will become a competition for us because if you sit inside the company, you can't really you know, look at the same perspective as the user looks at the company. Yeah. Uh, we, we said it before in our uh, previous uh, phone call is that uh, this really good quote I heard in another podcast was uh, somebody said, if you're inside the bottle, you can't read the label. Mm. And I really believe that. I really believe that you have to sit on the outside to look at a company and see it truly as it is. Um, and um, yeah, that's, that's what I really believe in. And, and in, interesting, uh, interestingly enough, if you look at how everything is moving. If you look at like big media houses or production houses, they are hiring developers. They're hiring like top-notch designers, uh, interaction designers, and they're going towards the big uh, classical websites that used to like be for 
different types of companies like Mirabeau. Mm. Um, and you see them trying to be more creative. So everything is like going into this new playing field. So there's this new competition coming up and everyone needs to be ready. You need to be creative um, and you need to be technical, very good. And you have to have your data sorted. So that that's the new playing field. And I find it really interesting to to look at this, but I don't believe in uh, the classical setup here. Anymore. No, no. And I think that's changing as well, is that what I've noticed a little bit is that, of course, there's a lot of nearshoring, so there's a lot mm. of people yeah. uh, getting developers. Because they aren't ready, yeah. readily available within the Netherlands, people are going to go outside of Netherlands and will Logi- take it, right? Yeah, logical. Uh, we have that with our people in uh, that work for us in Serbia, but uh, I can imagine that a lot of agencies will be going towards that as well. Also, delivering those kind of people from from those kind of countries but still i think that the what i've noticed is that the creative process so actually the designing mm. and stuff like that it's much more handy to have that on site than yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, than somewhere yeah. in a d- different country that, that's what, something yeah. that i've noticed as well is yeah. that i could get a designer from whatever country but it's much harder to to explain your kind of creative what you want to do exactly. and, and yeah. rework and yeah. because it's just nice when someone can yeah. come over and say yeah. okay this is what i th- yeah. thought about yeah. let's go through it right yeah. uh, is that is that i think that's something that you were uh, referring to as well a little bit right so yeah. uh, that that changes that switch is going on as yeah. well yeah definitely and i mean especially that um if definitely you, you see different uh, categories of, of designers like growing up right now. I mean, you see like the type of designer who's really comfortable in scrum teams uh, working on a daily basis and, and, and creating stuff. But I don't really see that that's a very good creation process. It's a fabrication process. If you look at the other type of designer who is like classically only in web design, it's like the website is the goal, but they don't really look further than that i mean the website is just a means mm. but it's getting in it's becoming like the one the most important means because we make our money there right now yeah. so that's logically why identity design is growing towards online agencies right now i mean i can't remember a time where where um we had more sorry we we currently have more identity projects combined with website projects than we had like four years ago Mm. it's becoming logical and that's why you can't get uh it's not good to have a designer who's not like close to the company or in the same area i think um it's like a very intimate process who are you what are you doing what's your purpose in this world as a company and design is not just the aesthetic layer it's 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 a strategic tool yeah so you have to be really close to the founders and then the company itself and then you can create the right design and the right website and who is using it, and how are they using it? That's and obviously the, the user, yeah, 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 because that's uh, that, that's something that I noticed as well is that uh, there is a big shift going towards that, right? So even mm. even personalizing that, right? So personalizing how you use a website or how you use mm. an interface based on what you give as input, right? Yeah, and that's that's to me is the most interesting part is that that's switching as well. Yeah, a lot of people are seeing that as well is that they are going from okay this is our website this is an interface and that's it yeah to more toward i mean the human centered design part is we i talked about it with uh, pete a little bit which i had on the podcast before but um 
it, it is going even further than that, right? It's really looking at the person that's using the website. I know for a lot of... I had um, False Plot uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. before as well. And they were actually getting people into their studio, actually using the website and seeing how they are doing, yeah. how are they using that and also giving report on, based on that, right? Yeah. And seeing, okay, this is what they... Uh, this is how they are using it. This is what we need to do. Yeah. And that's that's to me is of course it's still a layer below actually personalized websites and personalized yeah. interfaces. But I think that's that it is something that it's going towards, right? Definitely. I mean, um, I remember a time that uh, at Mirabeau we were dreaming about this. Mm. We called it dynamic design, and then uh, our creative director he wrote a, a magazine around it. The second ma- magazine is out right now, um, and we're still dreaming about it. And it has many names, contextualization, yeah. personalization. But um, I think technology is ready right now. Finally, finally. I, back in 2014, we did our first projects around this, but we found out that the technology wasn't ready. So, yeah, so it was like this very weird dream we had. But <laughs> now, finally, we can really create that um, true relevancy for users yeah. through this. Yeah. But there's still a big difference between personalization and uh, targeting an individual. Yeah, of course. So we still have a long road ahead of us, but it, it's if you do this right, I mean, uh, the internet or whatever, it will feel like magic. Hmm. And that's that's personally what, what I really like about it. Yeah, and that's what blurs the line between technology and design as well, I think. Yeah. Uh, and that that's one of the things that uh, you suggested as well. <laughs> 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 but it, it is... Um, it is uh, you, you mentioned that we need to stop talking about kind of tech and design as two yeah. separate things. And yeah. I, I wanted to get into that a little bit. Uh, bit what, what do you mean by that? So what, what do you yeah. mean by, by when you say... We don't need to talk about those th- things as two separate things. Um, one of the things that I learned at Mirabeau, but also I saw it in every company that has their own agency, and I see it at McCall as well. If you start talking about designers and developers, there's already this climate that these are like opposites. Mm. And uh, I think this is a really old idea, and, and, and it stands in the way of. Uh, this industry going forward and if I look at like smaller companies where the climate obviously is a lot different um, people don't really see those differences they're they're just you know they hustle they do their job and if something uh, is needed uh, the the designer will do yeah yeah yeah, Yeah. he will do like a little bit of front end and and the the developer kind of like sees the logic behind the design he will do like a little bit of design work or this starts designing into the browser, which is really good and really fine because you have to blur those lines. But I really see that everyone has to have their own responsibility in the end of the day. It's like design is his field and his profession, development is his field and his profession. Um, so what I'm trying to do at McCall, but also at our clients and, and the companies we work for is uh, I don't want to see any differences between a designer and a developer. It's all about creativity, and everyone is a creative. Mm. You only have to have to give right guidance and stimulants. Yeah. And I've seen developers do the most crazy creative stuff 
uh, more than a designer that I, that I see in, uh, on that project or the other way around. But it's all about inspiration. And I mean, currently I'm in uh, this, this project uh, for uh, Peugeot and um, we had these like design fundamentals, these principles that we said in the beginning, we need to you know, keep these things in account. We need to make stuff really trustworthy to make a website this simple. And if you have those set of principles in the beginning of a project, you, you can just take a little bit of time for each other and don't sit at the same table and start talking about what does it mean for you. you know? Then you will have something like co-creation, mm. which I don't really believe in because yeah. it's almost like nobody really takes responsibility. And I really want to have that advantage of your background mm. as an as a individual, the way how you look at this problem, what trustworthiness means for you. And if you start talking about it and debating about it, it becomes this really fluffy stuff. But if you go back a couple of hours, two days a week, and you make your sketches or you write your code or your individual perception on what that means for this brand and for this website and for these KPIs, you can come back and bring them to the table. And then we can look at it, what the value, what it brings for this project. And every time when, when we do this, the, the magic pops up. Yeah. And that's when people start to become creative and that's when the, the sparks uh, ignite between those people. And I still see it. I mean, we're in the end of the project and I see developers saying to designers, hey, if we start doing it, it's not trustworthy. Be careful. Those things. And uh, a developer making a small micro animation in this uh, illustration that uh, we uh, had somebody make and the designer going back to that developer and making it 10 times beautiful together. Mm. That's the magic. Yeah. So it's, it's um, yeah, I get that. The, the, the thing is that uh, what uh, usually what I get from developers as well is that they're, um, what they're doing, so what they're creating, usually isn't visual, visual right? Yeah, yeah. So, and that's that's the hard part for developers there as yeah, well, yeah. if we are looking at it from a developer's perspective, right? Yeah. And that's uh, something that um, one of my colleagues as well said to me as well, is that, okay, you're going to change this front-end framework, for example. You're going to change... Mm -hmm. Nobody's going to notice that, that you change the front-end front -end framework, right? Because it just works yeah, the same yeah, as it yeah, did before. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so what he what he said was actually instrumental in doing something is that he said okay if you're going to change something if you're mm. going to change this feature or going to change this we had a a total rebuild of something that we wanted to do it was like make it visual for people right yeah. so make it yeah. visual in the sense that we we actually did a rebuild and a redesign yeah we did that because we wanted to show okay uh, we not just made it different and uh, under the hood but we also were improving we're improving on that yeah. as well and that's something that um that a lot of uh it's hard it's hard for me to grasp as well because i've been on the back end of yeah. things as well but it, it is something that you see that actually has an impact it has an impact if yeah. you do that definitely and i mean um thinking about stuff like that and and i in the end product is a shared responsibility of everyone and um i mean uh what getting philosophical again um what i always try to do i mean and that's why i think developers uh, are so important in this process i try to visualize a website or service which is a portal for a brand which has behavior and everything i really see those tiny 
development choices almost as body language mm. with the interaction with the client. So yes, it's super important next to the visual language or the verbal or whatever. So um, everyone needs to be on board on getting the same goals and, and reaching the same goals and having the same principles to get us there. And uh, I think it's a good choice what you did. I mean, yeah. it's a psychological effect as well. Yeah, it's, it's just a psychological effect, not only for the clients, but also for us internally, right? How am I going to sell uh, a rebuild of two months yeah. of work? Yeah where nobody would even notice yeah, the difference exactly yeah there is a difference because we can develop new things faster yeah, because yeah, we did that yeah. but uh that would be evident maybe after three or four months yeah. and everybody's like yeah. okay i need this feature yeah right and that's the that's the thing What's, what what is really fun about that as well is that um it's quite progressive in the sense of that we used to only make customer experiences for our customers Mm. Uh, and and tell the brand story and tell the promise and all those things and just shine it towards the market. But we always forgot to shine it inwards as well, and which is really weird because you, these are the people that can that need to make that thing come true. Yeah. So they have to believe it in their bones before they can can make their promise in in the market. So that's why we I really believe that in the latest rebrandings that that we did in the past year, um, we always put some sort of module in the project that every time we make a big decision and not to co-create and not to, you know, debate mm. with everyone about stuff, we take the employees with us. Mm. So if we make a new identity, if we make a new proposition, yes, it's key that we have everyone at the table at that moment. And uh, I read a report on it uh, the other day as well, is that, a customer experience and an employee experience needs to be so good. We used to make like these big rebrandings at Mirabel as well. And we left the building and the company just sat with this new architecture, this new thing we created for them. But still, they have to pull up and get used to that new new suit that they bought. Yeah, And that's a really important one. And motivating your, your team by creating a new front end as well. And also motivating the clients at the same time. That's a smart strategy. Yeah, it doesn't work always, of course. But it, it, for this particular case, it worked because we needed uh, a lot of time to create it. Yeah. Right? So you need to kind of, um, you need to show what the value will be, right? So yeah. what, what the value will be when, when it's done. Yeah. And you're not going to get that just by saying, okay, we got a new front end. Mm. Uh, but you don't see anything of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that does it work, right? Exactly. And uh, what what you said was actually interesting. Is that I always feel like the people that are working at your company actually make your brand, right? So yeah, y y you say maybe your brand is trustworthy or whatever. That shines through when the people actually believe in that and also show that, right? Exactly. I mean, um, um, we used to build brands as cathedrals, and um, it was quite handy because uh, the public didn't really have a say in it or something. Now people have control and it scares the shit out of brand management. Yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> and um, I, think, I think it's really interesting to look at how brand management and how brands operate in modern times. But I think that, uh, I mean, people will see that you make a promise and that you don't deliver. So making your company deliver on that promise, it's not just this really goofed up uh, story 
that's made by marketing to throw in the world and say like, yeah, yeah, we do it like this, but you really have to deliver. Mm. So making that connection, it, it's, it's cardinal in, in surviving in the upcoming years. Yeah. And uh, I want to switch to another topic because I wanted to uh, have that last kind of topic uh, for, for the end. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, you did a well usually what i do is actually i ask what what are you most proud of right so mm. that's that's kind of the the ending question mm. and one of the things that um i wanted to do differently a, a little bit this time is that i've seen something uh, you posted it on linkedin as well you did kind of a big presentation for a lot of mm. i think it was ceos and ctos right or it was it yes cmo C- ctos yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, I wanted to talk to, to you a bit about that because I can see when you talk about that how proud you are of that achievement yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. So uh, how did that come about and what was it about actually, the, yeah. the whole presentation? Um, the, the presentation you saw was uh, uh, an event we organize every year. It's called the McCall Inspiration Day. And uh, it's a day where we don't just talk about technology or talk about design. It's all about what we see in the market, the inspiration that we see around us and, and showing it to everyone to kind of like get like a sense of what's going on in the world and, and, and kind of like a zeitgeist thing. But um, I was really conflicted on doing this presentation because it, it, it was about how I view the world right now and the impact that technology had and almost like the unhealthy relationship we have with technology Mm. and what really intrigued me is that you can read a lot of stuff about how your phone is addictive and how everything is shaping our behavior our relationships our our, even our bodies um but those articles never end with a solution Mm. they only they, they only do the diagnostics that's it and um I personally, as an individual, um, I also uh, experience these these problems. I mean, I'm an information addict. I really want to read everything, like we said, you know, about architecture, fashion, design, technology, everything. I want to know everything to be in top-notch shape for myself and my clients and as a professional. But I can also see that I am a heavy consumer. Mm. And... Um, I can also see the effect of digital on my kids even. I mean, the other day, my my middle kid, I have three kids, the middle one has like neck pains and we go to the doctor and you know what the doctor says? Mm. Ah, that's an iPad neck. It it already... That's a thing? (laughs) It's already a thing because a lot of kids like... They didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, and uh, it sickens me. Yeah, of course. It sickens me. Um, I mean, uh, I, I threw up some stats as well. I mean, we, we, we pick up our phones more than we pick up uh, cutlery to feed ourselves. And mm. we look more at our phone to unlock it than we look at an individual in his eyes, another individual. And we read more email in our life than books to enhance our intellect. Mm. So I think that's very, very depressing. And uh, who are the architects of this problem? I think that's us. Yeah, that's really, really yeah, it is. <laughs> and, and we don't take any responsibility in this. Yeah. And uh, that angers me a mm. lot. And um, so I, I, I was thinking about these things and uh, I was trying to come up with a solution. And, and we came up with uh, a proven uh, strategy on how to restore trust. It's, it's a model of 
uh, interpersonal model how humans can build trust with mm-hmm. each other because I think that we don't interact with um, abstract personas anymore. You know, you, we used to say like, oh, this is almost like the target audience in the world and this is how we target them and it's almost like an abstract figure. But uh, since people are, have so much impact on brands right now, they're so close, the conversation is almost direct. Mm. If you do something stupid, people will say it to us on social media. Yeah. So it's like a normal interaction so it's normal that we try to use these type of models how to build a relationship with each other so i really feel passionate about this uh subject and as you asked um it was the first time for me that i kind of like put my background of design and branding to the side and started just to talk about uh what i see in the world and how i feel about these things as an individual and what i believe in but bringing it back to my profession as a sole belief how i want to create digital in the future and i take it with me on every project and there's no one who says like this is a stupid idea yeah let's not use it yeah everybody knows the truth right so everybody knows that we're actually consuming way too much (laughs) on our phones and stuff like that everybody knows it but nobody's as you said nobody really gives a uh, the actual solution, right? I mean, yeah. uh, seeing how much I'm using it on my iPhone, for example, uh, yeah. I, I mean, okay, it's cool. I can see that I yeah. was on YouTube yesterday but for an hour. does it change your behavior? <laughs> it's not like I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to spend less time on YouTube today. Exactly. Does, Ex- it doesn't happen, right? Uh, exactly. It doesn't change that behavior that you yeah. have. I mean, mm. and it's so weird. I mean, there, there's this big rise in apps that, that are helping us to, to quit this habit which is very ironic. We create more <laughs> digital to stop consuming digital. And we're even, I mean, it's smart and it's really cool that we can do it, but we're creating chatbots, which use like psychological models uh, where people can talk to these chatbots and say how lonely they are or, you know, how addicted they are to things. Yeah. And I found it, it, it it's the utmost level of te- technocracy, of, 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 of yeah. our, our, our trust in technology, of course. But it, it, it's almost like this uh, weird, uh, abstract uh, situation. Mm. We talk to technology and say how lonely we are. It's almost like art. Yeah, and I can actually... Uh, that, that's something that's, that's changing as well, is that especially with the voice assistants and mm. stuff like that, things like Alexa and stuff like that yeah. coming up. Uh, that's also something that I... Um, not worried about because it, it's a little bit hard to say you're worried about something that's not there yet. But, yeah, uh, I can imagine that people will be talking like that to their voice assistants instead yeah. of to a real human being, right? Yeah, it, I it mean, could, it could happen in the. It, it's not that far yet, but it it could happen that someone would say that to a voice yeah. assistant yeah. because maybe they don't have any friends. Maybe they are really lonely. It could be. Could be. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's a lot to think about. <laughs> it's, yeah. it, there, there's a lot to think about. I mean, and um, um, as you see back in history, I mean, a lot of new um, when new technologies come in, it always kind of like almost goes out of hand, and then it normalizes. So I'm still hoping that stuff will normalize, and I see the market already changing. People making phones with less radiation and less notifications and stuff to draw us back in um and i'm I'm hoping personally hoping that stuff will normalize and that people will um see that uh life itself is more important than their digital life yeah and um yeah 
Yeah, the hardest thing is actually the the FOMO effect, right? So the kind of fear of missing out. Definitely. That's the thing. Uh, and and that, I think that's what keeps us closer to that phone as well, is that you're like, okay, I got an email. I have yeah. to do something yeah. with it right now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, no, you don't. <laughs> and I, I said it in the presentation as well. I mean, I'm really a believer of... Um, the human sciences, mm. getting the human sciences on board and creating the best experiences, services, uh, and products uh, we can. Going back to uh, psychology, um, neurology, uh, anthropology, all those things. It's really important to find out where we can make true value with people. Mm. But misusing those findings in changing people's behavior and making them buy stuff or do those things, yeah. that's where the evil sits for me. Yeah, and it, and it happens already, right? So there's a lot of things that, uh, especially when you look at, well, in in a in a sense, that's what uh, sometimes UX design creates, for example, right? So it makes yeah. you buy something because yeah. it's placed in a yeah. specific point in a web page. Hey, let's be honest, I'm guilty as well. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I've been using these tricks my whole career, and I mean, even even looking at. Um, uh, I can even remember sitting in school and, and from a graphic design perspective that the teacher taught me some stuff, how you can make the, 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 the person relate more to the product that you're designing around. And those kind of tricks, yes, yes, I think it's normal to use it, but going at that norm, deeper psychological level, I mean, talking to that lizard brain in there, you know, yeah. and uh, changing their behavior. I mean, uh, it sounds extreme, but to me, it is too extreme. And that's the part where we kind of like make stuff too addictive. Yeah, I, I would, uh, I I will link the the presentation because I think that's that's good to yeah. actually show what uh, what yeah. what it was about. Um, I would like to wrap up. Cool, I think man. it was really good to to talk to you as well. But um, where can uh, people find you on the on the internet? <laughs> it's a little bit hard with your yeah, name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the word the internet. I mean, I still find it really old fashioned. It's almost it is. Like I am old fashioned. <laughs> hyperlinks and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think people can can definitely always find me on uh, LinkedIn. I mean, yeah. uh, that that's the the fastest way to uh, to find me. And uh, I will link it as well. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, sure. uh, the video to me. Uh, of the presentation also ends with I really love people to be really critical about the stuff that I'm saying and I really like to hear more opinions on it because the reactions so far were really nice and good and I had a lot of great discussions around it but uh, I'm not saying I'm spitting the truth off here but I'm really no, no, but it's really want to hear yeah, yeah 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 I really want to hear about people who are thinking about this very cool thank you again Thank and you, for man. the listeners, uh, you can find the Bits vs. Byte podcast on uh, bitsvsbytes.com and all uh, major pod- podcasting platforms. And of course, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Uh, I would like to thank you for listening and until next time. <laughs>